Thank you, Natalie. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I want you to uh, begin thinking and reflecting with me a little bit on when was the last time, often in life, we can feel a, a sense of devaluing or, or someone uh, in a friendship or relationship we can be devalued or diminished or overlooked. Would you think back to the last time that happened in a relationship and, and remember how that feels for a moment? Certainly in the ministry of Christ Jesus, there were moments that he could have felt deeply diminished when people in his hometown said, isn't he just the carpenter? I mean, what's up with that? Where does he get that authority from? Or when people heard a teaching like, you must eat of my body and drink of my blood, and they walked away, and he had a bunch of disciples walked away, sure that, that Jesus would have felt diminished. I think of the Apostle Paul. There's a number of times that people were questioning his apostolic authority. The church in Corinth, he had to like defend himself against what he calls super apostles and saying, my authority is there. The book of Galatians is written in response to a diminishment and a devaluing but actually not of Paul, the author of the book. There was this diminishing and devaluing of the very gospel itself. The message of the gospel, the, the good news of the gospel. What the gospel means, what the gospel is, good news, and what the gospel means for our lives. The book of Galatians is a book that Paul has some really strong words. In fact, we're going to be like just a few verses into chapter 1 and you're going to hear how upset Paul is. And I want to put a little bit of context to those words because he is feeling, he's going to talk about his own apostolic authority, but not really because he's being defensive, not really because he cares about his own ministry in the eyes of the Galatians. What he cares about is the pure gospel, the true gospel. That the gospel itself, the good news, would not be uh, deformed or diminished or changed in any way. Because he knows if you diminish the true gospel, then you are going to live a diminished life. So in fact, he's upset for the gospel, but he's also upset for the people living in response to the gospel. And he's saying, he's going to say, stop, look at what you're doing. Look at how your life is diminishing. Is not the abundant life that I taught you to live, but is the life that's shallow, that's empty, that's legalistic, that is a far cry from the abundant life of Jesus Christ. Now the particulars of Galatians we're going to talk about. 
But I want to encourage you to think deeply about these things. That there, what the Galatians were wrestling with specifically relates to us generally. The ways that they were diminishing the gospel and their lives specifically at that time relates to how we can diminish the gospel, our own understanding of it, and how we live it out. I feel like this book is particularly important for the life of the church, for your life, and for my life right now. Because we have a propensity to understand the gospel or fall into the gospel and live a life in response to that diminished gospel just as much as today as they did back then. So I want to to, uh, encourage you to think again and again as we talk about the issues that they're wrestling with back in uh, the first century, would you again and again Seek to apply that to your thinking, your understanding of the true gospel, and how you live that gospel out today. Okay? A little bit of context with the chapter one of Galatians. You want to open your book. It's the first of the uh, go eat potato chips, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. All right? And we're starting there, and actually, the, the book of Galash, uh, Galatians is uh, one of the books I believe was one of the earliest epistles written. In fact, there's some debate. We do have a, a map up there. There's some debate of when Paul wrote it, and I believe this was around uh, 48, 49 A.D., and it was just after the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And you see, Galatia is not actually a city, it's a region that includes many of the cities that as you read Acts, he started churches and the gospel movement in those places like Lystra, right? And so it's understood, and I believe it was also before a very important moment in the life of the church, Acts 15, called the Jerusalem Council. But we'll talk more about that later in the series, all right? So Paul and Barnabas go on this first missionary journey. He shares the gospel, starts the churches, and then, most likely, there were some folks from Jerusalem that followed Paul. And they said, hey, Paul's not actually preaching fully accurately the gospel. He's actually not one of the big dog apostles. He wasn't with Jesus. He's a kind of a small dog. He's an after dog. And so in actuality, he's trying to make it easy on you. Like he told you, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to become Jewish. That's actually not right. He's off. He's just, he's kind of trying to please you. Right, uh, the the food laws. You don't have to be kosher. That that's not right. Actually, if you want the full gospel, if you want to live it right, you actually have to become Jewish. In many of these, embrace the Jewish laws, 
and then live in those laws. I mean, follow Jesus, yes, but that's not enough. You also have to embrace the, the laws of Moses. And many of the Galatians said, okay, yeah, I guess if it's Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, we'll go with him instead of Paul because, yeah, he was after Jesus to a certain degree. And Paul is upset. Paul writes this letter, perhaps from Antioch, and it says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man. Let me read that again. Sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, we get five verses of niceties. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Strong language in Paul. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. How do you really feel about it, Paul? No, just let it go, Paul. Just you don't, don't hold back. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? He's speaking to that accusation. He was just trying to win your approval, make it easy. You don't have to be circumcised. And, and Paul's saying, am I doing that now? Am I being nice? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached, to, preached is not of human origin. This is why Paul cares so much about his apostolic authority. He's wanting them to know this is not opinion. This is not one way. This is not the origin of his own thinking or meditation this origin is of the divine. I did not receive it from any men, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul was actually living 
the perverted gospel that the Galatians had accepted. To a certain degree, the, the, the Mosaic law, and he was saying, I was better than most people. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human beings. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, which is Aramaic for Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. Uh, Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. All right, Paul in this first chapter doesn't really get into any deep theological stuff. He's just upset. He's just astonished and, and taken aback. The churches he planted with the gospel that he proclaimed, they have believed others and are now perverting and shifting the gospels. And he is first speaking to the first issue or lie that the Galatians believed in, and that was he was a small dog apostle that he was trying to appease people, men and women. And Paul is saying, I need to recount for you that the gospel that you heard from me is not from men, but from Jesus Christ himself. All right? So in this first chapter, what I want to do with you this morning is just do our best to shame, uh, shame. Yes, I'm going to shame you the best I can. <laughs> I'm going to frame up a little bit of this discussion because I really hope that you'll read and reflect on the book of Galatians several times, again and again over the course of the next couple of weeks. And so what Paul is doing is he's arguing for salvation and for life, okay? The first part is, how is one saved? How one is saved is you have to do these three things and then believe in Jesus and then three more things. That's essentially what those that followed up were saying. They're trying to tack on additional things to be saved. The classic reiteration of salvation by grace alone is found throughout the book of Galatians, but especially in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul, again, says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
I would argue that not only in the first century, but time and time again, Christians, sometimes very well-meaning Christians, have tried to add to the essential grace of God for salvation. I oftentimes go back to the thief on the cross who believed who was next to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, would you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Was that thief saved? But he wasn't baptized. I don't know if he articulated the right theological formulas on the cross while he was dying. It was the grace of God that saved him. That's it. Nothing else. Period. And friends, if you hear others trying to add, if your own thinking you're trying to add to salvation at all, It's not the true gospel. Actually, the book of Galatians was the key book for the Reformation, along with Romans, but Galatians was there. And they were also saying, hey, you should also be aware of something called total depravity. My, my layman's version I hope this is not offensive to anyone, but my layman's version of the theological principle of total depravity is we suck. And there's nothing we can do to gain salvation and the grace of God. That we are so morally steeped in sin that we can't build a bridge, we can't, if, it, if it's, this is bad things that we've done and this is good things that we've done, we can't do enough good things to overcome our bad stuff to get into heaven. No, we can't. We suck. And it's got to be the grace of God and never add anything to it. But friends, I also want you to think in this way, not just about salvation and entering the kingdom of God, but also life in the kingdom of God. And I think that's what we miss oftentimes. Paul will say this later in Galatians. He'll say, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Remember reading that going, saying, wait, I can set aside the grace of God? In my life today, I can live it in such a way that I can miss or set aside God's grace? If you've got your outline, these words aren't here, but I'm going to say, I'm going to give you three words that if you've got your outline, go ahead and write this down. The first word is legalism. I have a propensity for legalism. That I can become legalistic in my faith. And I'm setting aside the grace of God when I do that. Second word is perfectionism. 
we have any perfectionists in this place? Oh, I see some smiling. I see some nodding. I want to argue that perfectionism, we can be setting aside the grace of God. And the third word is anxiety. Do we have anyone that wrestles with anxiety in here? No, only me. Okay, that's fine. I'll preach it to myself. That's fine. But as, I, as I'm wallowing in anxiety, quite easily I can be setting aside the grace of God. So what were the three words? Legalism, Legalism perfectionism, and anxiety. Just raise your hand if only one touches your life from time to time. Just any of them. One or more, I should say. One or more. Okay, there we are. All right, good. All right, all right. So really, again, Paul is going to be arguing about these theological deep things. And yet it's not just about salvation. It's not, it's inclusive of how we live our lives today. So let me give, so I put some of the themes in uh, in Galatia, the book of Galatians, for you right there in your outline. Grace and faith or trust. Paul's going to talk about this idea of faith. That faith is the way we enter the kingdom and the faith or trust in God is how we're meant to live. Freedom and liberty. That, that this is this idea, if you really understand the gospel, if you're really living the gospel, it leads to freedom and liberty in Christ Jesus. It's been said that the book of Galatians is the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. And so often, I've said, where's my freedom? Where's my liberty? I don't get it. I, somehow, as I'm living the faith, I'm missing what Paul's talking about in liberty. I must be missing something. And then finally, um, promise that we are to be a people of God's promises, living and receiving hope and inspiration from the promises, he's going to talk a lot about promise. And finally, the person who wants to bring this new kind of life to you that's central to us, the Holy Spirit, the fruit that he wants to bear in our lives, the sin he wants to uproot and eradicate. And the Spirit of God will lead us to live lives of grace, of faith, of freedom, equality, and promise. All right, by way of introduction, I also wanted to invite Calvin Langford forward. So Calvin, uh, we, we've been talking a little bit about this. Calvin, uh, he grew up, whichever way you want to come, that microphone right there. Calvin grew up in, in something called the Worldwide Church of God, which is a pretty uh, amazing story. You could say it was a Christian denial. Are you going to go over there, Calvin? Okay, all right. Can I do that? Can I yeah, do that? sure, sure. And, and um, 
And you could say that this isn't about bashing the worldwide church of God. In fact, what happened is pretty incredible. They reformed from within according to the word of God. And they're actually reforming the worldwide church of God and became orthodox and a Christian denomination. And yet there was some of their tendencies and teachings that relate specifically to the book of Galatians and what we're talking about. And I would say specifically legalism and perfectionism. Yes? Absolutely. Yes. How about anxiety? Would you say that? I threw well, that third one. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit well, about I your mean, experience. There's Colin. anxiety because you're not doing enough. Mm. Um, Eric, I, I so laugh when you said the word shamed up here, and I'm like, okay, Eric, I'm ready to be shamed. <laughs> Let's get on with it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, um, from when I was five years old, I, I grew up in the Worldwide Church of God, um, and I would describe it uh, as a Christian church with misguided theology. Um, and and you, would, you would look at the church... Um, and, and I would say that there were some traits that probably had a little bit of cult um, associated uh, with them because um, it was our belief that we were the one and only true church. Sorry about that, all of the rest of you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there was that aspect. And we adhered to, it was a, we adhered to Old Testament covenant stuff. Um, we adhered to Old Testament festivals. Um, I, the Feast of Tabernacles is coming up. Mm. The Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement. We did not keep Christmas. Um, Christmas was something that um, all of you other misguided people kept. <laughs> so, which, which was interesting. Um, and so, you know, how does that influence you? Uh, man, my view of Christmas now is I, I have not very much emotional attachment mm. to that particular holiday. We kept um, Levitical food laws. So I think I was in my 30s before I really began to enjoy the joys of bacon. Yes. That's just not right. It's not Period. right in any capacity. And but But when I say these things, I... I actually say these things respectfully um, because I know there are some very committed um, people out there who still believe in a, um, a Christians who believe very much in a Saturday Sabbath. And so I grew up from Friday night sunset to Saturday night sunset. That was the Sabbath. And you kept that. Man, it was very strictly. And I would almost, um, I think we talked about this a little bit, um, check box Christianity. Check box Christianity. Check yeah. box Christianity. Mm -hmm. Did I do this? Check. Um, you'll love this one. Tithing. Um, and, and tithing, again, check, it was check box tithing. Um, I think we should keep that box. <laughs> yes, deacons, would that be appropriate? Yeah, okay. So, um, there was the um, first tithe, absolutely 10%. And 
And then second tithe was um, used during the Feast of Tabernacles, mm. which was a physical representation of the kingdom of God. And so we, yeah, you had Christmas one day. We had the Feast of Tabernacles that went on seven days, and it was it was a really fun, fun time. But again, we, we put aside 10% of our income for one week's vacation. Well, not vacation. And then there was the poor tithe, the third tithe. So every seven years, every third and sixth year, there was a third tithe that we put aside, and that was called the poor, for, for, for people who were less fortunate. So every third and sixth year, you were putting away 30%. Are the deacons taking notes in this moment here? So talk a little bit about, so actually Worldwide Church of God, you had a number of folks that were starting to speak into the leadership. And the leadership started to recognize in a pretty incredible moment that they didn't have all of their theology correctly. I wonder how they handled the book of Galatians, actually, um, in that way. And so they started to hear this message of grace and began the process of reformation uh, according to the word of God. So would you just talk a little bit in your own personal journey, um, Calvin, about what grace has come to mean to you, how you were able to kind of take yourself from that legalism or checking the box Christianity and move to the place of grace today? It wasn't a light switch. Okay. It, it really was um, a, a journey. When, when you grow up in in a legalistic and, and very much um, formulaic uh, Christian existence, that, that idea of grace is, you, you learn from that. And I, and I think that as an organization, the concept of grace was very jarring um, for the organization because once grace was introduced and once the legal aspect of Christianity was um, almost, I, if I can say, we were delivered from that, mm. then the church shattered, like mm. dropping a crystal yeah. glass. And, and so it splintered into many, many different small factions. Um, but for me, I think what it is, you know, when I think about the law, and what Jesus said about the law, he came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And it still plays a role in our lives today. Well, he says, if you love me, <laughs> keep my commandments. And while the Ten Commandments from the Old Covenant were, were, were very ten, very fixed commandments... When you think about the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all, your, with all of your energy, and love your brother as yourself, it explodes the Ten Commandments into, it, 
when I say it blows them out of the water, I don't mean that disrespectfully, <laughs> but it magnifies the Ten Commandments yeah. so much. Um, the heart of the law. The heart of the, of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there was one other thing there. Oh, yeah. And so for me, that aspect of grace, it, it came down to understanding where it says the truth will set you free. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Has, have that aspect of freedom because then as an individual, right, I have access directly mm. to my Savior mm. and he and I interact, Amen. right? And so that Amen. freedom is, it's, it's different. This, this is Calvin's truth. I mean, hang on a minute, whoa, 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 not Calvin's truth, but it's my relationship with right. him, the freedom of me being able to commune with him, which is different from all of you. That is the, 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 the freedom of truth is that you individually get to have your individual relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's not checkbox Christianity. And I want to share this too. This is um, to, to make it as understandable Um, even though I don't think it's light switch, turn on, but understandable. So I was talking with a friend, and uh, in a real, he was really uh, open and honest, and he attends church faithfully. He does all these things, not not this church, not part of this congregation. And he said, "Uh, Eric, I was sitting in church the other day, and I realized I have a lot of resentment towards God. I was like, uh, give me a name. I don't want to use his name. Well, say uh, Timothy, Timothy. And so I, I said, okay, Timothy, let's, let's kind of back up. Why do you feel, where's that source of resentment coming from? And he said, well, I feel like I'm doing what God has asked of me. And he's not coming through for me specifically financially. And as we continued to talk about that, we realized that he had somewhat of a transactional relationship with God. That if he checks these five boxes, goes to church and tithes and uh, prays and reads the Bible, then transactionally, quid pro quo, God should do this. And would you, God was not holding up his part of the bargain. And he was resenting God, right? Yeah, and and I think that, um, I saw a lot of friends who, became very resentful mm. after the implosion of the worldwide church of God, yeah. who were like, what in the world have I been doing? Why have I, why have I been even been doing this? And so sort of the baby went out with the bathwater. Um, and uh, that, that's, that's a sad commentary because I think missing the, the missing grace is, is a tragedy. 
um, for people. It yeah. really is. And you know, Eric, there were honestly there were good things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I and, and again, I will plug this to you. I man, if you have not been blessed by tithing, then I really encourage you to tithe because the 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 blessings um, that tithing offers and just. However much, however little it is, it's such a blessing to be able to do that. I didn't ask Calvin to say that at all. But really tithing, Paul says, between you and God, what your heart determines to give. Again, what Paul is doing is saying, don't follow a formula. Mm. Don't follow rules. Follow the heart that you have with the Lord. So can we thank Calvin? Very tremendous. Thank you, Brian. So let me just, uh, again, further wrap this up, this, this first chapter, and want to encourage you this week to, to do a slow read through Galatians, even if you don't fully understand. Maybe our KLCs can unpack it and talk a little bit about it and experience this. So... Um, so I've recognized in my own life, trying to speak personally, is that when I start to add man-made rules to the gospel, I'm starting to set aside the grace of God in my life. Now this relates to salvation oftentimes remember uh, talking with a, a, a student in college and they were wrestling and she was, this, there was a cult-like Christian movement on college campuses, started in Illinois, swept across the, the, the country and basically they said, if you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit, you're probably not a Christian. That if you look at uh, the book of Acts, it says, in the name of Christ, they were baptized. It was a pretty powerful recruiting tool. They were getting Christian students to doubt their salvation. And so I go back, and again and again, Romans 10, 9 and 10 was the, the scripture I'd go back to if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Period. Full stop. End of the truth. We go back and again when we have the tendency to add rules and regulations and activities and works to salvation, we begin to diminish the true gospel and diminish the grace of God in our lives. But again, not just, not just salvation, but also how we live out our salvation. I've also recognized when I begin to not have grace for myself and fall into perfectionism or anxiousness, I'm beginning to turn away from God's grace. 
rather than towards it. Again, Paul says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Let it have its effect on you. Let it be the grace of God what undergirds your life in him. Return to it again and again. This one final story. Some of you know uh, the actor Andrew Garfield. And uh, he uh, did silence and he had to do a, a role of a... I think a, a Jesuit priest in Japan based on a true story, and he went through the spiritual exercises, and uh, he essentially became a Christian. Yep. And, uh, and in an interview, uh, Andrew Garfield said this, there were so many things in the exercises that changed me and transformed me, that showed me who I was and where I believe God wants me and who, where I believe God wants me to be what was really easy was falling in love with this person, was falling in love with Jesus Christ. That was the most surprising thing. He was just doing a role. He was just investigating, as a good actor should, this role, and he fell in love with Jesus. But then he goes on to say, he went on this interview to share vulnerably, the main thing that I wanted to heal, that I brought to Jesus, that I brought to the exercises, was this feeling of not enoughness. This feeling of that forever longing for the perfect expression of this thing that is inside each of us, that wound of feeling like what I have to offer is never enough. And I thought that's, that's perfectionism. That was Andrew Garfield coming, not even as a Christian, but recognizing that perfectionism and that not enoughness in his own life and realizing this relationship with Christ Jesus changed all of that. Friends, I want to encourage you over the next several weeks if we would bring our propensity to legalism, if we would bring our, our, our leaning towards perfectionism, if we would bring our struggle with anxiety and allow the grace of God to fill those spaces and teach us to live an abundant life. And I'm just going to tell you, my gifts as a preacher fall far short of those lofty goals, right? It's got to be the Spirit of God working in you, in your heart, as you read, as you think, as you pray, as you listen, as you seek the abundant life that Jesus wants for you. Would you pray with me? So Lord, we just want to give 
just space and time to you, just a, a few minutes. Lord, whichever, whichever those that we connected with, that legalism that so easily creeps into our hearts, that perfectionism that can be a part of our daily living, that anxiety that can fill our quiet moments. Lord, we just, we want to give all three of those to you. Teach us the true gospel, Lord. Disciple us in your grace. Teach us liberty and freedom in you, Jesus. Teach us to keep in step with the Spirit. Can we stand together? Give you the benediction. If you have kids, would you go get your kids? Uh, the worship team is going to play a final song. And just if you want to hang out and just worship a bit, please do that. If you want to connect with a friend, maybe do that in the atrium. That would be great. Would you hold open your hands? So would you go in the grace of Abba Father? Would you walk that he is not this great grandfather that, that, that slaps your hands every time you, you color outside of the lines? That he loves you. He sent his son to die for you that you might know and receive friendship with him. Would you go keeping in step with his spirit? In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.